Hello, everybody. Big hello to all Millennium Alliance members and partners who are listening to this week's podcast edition with one of my favorite people that we've we've actually worked with previously, who's actually going to be keynoting next week's Chief Marketing Officer Customer Experience Program. He's no stranger to speaking. After he presented for us, a lot of people gave such great reviews that we had no choice but to bring him back. Mr. Fernando Machado is here with us again. Fernando is a global marketer with a passion of growing brands and businesses with more than 200 lions in can, uh, 24 DNAD yellow pencils, one DNAD black pencil, two grand FAs, FEs, if I believe, in North America. Uh, Fernando is well known in the marketing creative community for pushing the creative boundaries to drive business growth. Fernando is most recently at a very exciting organization, Activision Blizzard. He joined as their CMO in April of 2021. He is now responsible for the marketing initiatives of some of the most exciting titles in the gaming industry, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Diablo, Overwatch, Candy Crush, among many others that I'm sure a lot of you have come across over the course of time. Fernando had spent seven years previously before Activision at RBI, Restaurant Brands International, that owned organizations like Burger King, Popeyes, and Tim Hortons prior to Activision. His focus was to infuse those brands with purpose, including sustainability, improve overall product quality, modernize design, inspire the organization around technology, digital, and brand development. Under Fernando's leadership, Burger King became client of the year at the DNAD in 2016 and 2020, creative marketer of the year in Cannes, client of the year at the One Show 2018 and 2020, and advertiser of the year at the Clio Awards in 2018, 2019, and 2021. And last but not least, creative brand of the year in Cannes 2019 and 2021. And Fernando led the campaigns that you that if you are familiar with Burger King, that included McWhopper, Google Home of the Whopper, Whopper Detour, Stevenage Challenge, and Moldy Whopper. And prior to RBI, Fernando spent a chunk of his career, 18 years, at Unilever. He started there as an intern, which we're going to talk about, and he moved up the ranks, working different product categories and brands, including Dove, where he led the groundbreaking beauty sketches while he was there at around the year uh, 2013. That's a mouthful, but I wanted to make sure that I gave him his proper due. Fernando, it's great to have you back again. I am super excited to have you on the Millennium Live podcast series. Thanks so much for being with us. And obviously, thanks so much for keynoting next week's event. We're all pumped for it. Yeah, it's my it's my pleasure. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm all, we've been, as you said, we partnered together uh, with the Millennium Alliance for quite some time. I love to uh, to be part of the events and, uh, and it was an honor to be on the on the podcast. So it's my pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Fernando. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Before we get into the great stuff that you've done in your career, I know a lot of people are always curious about how people like yourself get to where you got to and where you're from and how you were raised and where you lived and all those sorts of things are interesting because for you to pick the career that you did and go the route that you did, I'm personally curious about how you got to that stage in your mind that this is the path that you wanted to take. So I know you were born in Brazil. You moved around a lot. Your dad was in the army. Why don't you take us through around the time period you were born in Brazil, where you were living in Brazil up until, you know, maybe it was the time to graduate high school and start university. Yeah. So you can tell that I have an accent. Like, uh, <laughs> I, so I, yes, I'm Brazilian. Uh, I was born in Rio, uh, which is Rio de Janeiro, which is like the Southeast of Brazil. My dad was born in the Amazon. My mom was born in Bahia, which is the northeast uh, of Brazil. And my dad was in the army. So he was always working as a civil engineer. 
in the army. So we had to move around quite a bit. That's why he was born in one place, my mom in a different place, and I was born in Rio. Probably like lived in Rio like one, two years. We moved to the Amazon. So I did uh, live in the Amazon as a little kid. I have like some very, very few memories of that time because I was very young. So lived in Amazon for a couple of years, then moved to Bahia, uh, which is the northeast of Brazil. It's a really fun place. Then moved back to Rio and then moved back to Bahia, uh, which is where I did my high school. So I did high school uh, in Bahia and I still have like awesome friends from Bahia. I grew up like being good with numbers, right? My dad was um, an engineer. My parents invested a lot on my education and education of my sister. My sister is like five years younger. It's just, it was just the two of us. And, uh, and even though we didn't have much money, I mean, the army in Brazil doesn't pay that well. Mm. Uh, my mom was like uh, uh, helping with our education, but she, she, she didn't have a job uh, like, uh, besides like taking care of us. But they always invested in education. So I, I grew up, I never had like, uh, my parents never owned like a place. We were like living in the army compound, uh, which was a nice place, by the way, very safe, like, since you are uh, inside an army compound, lots of sports, uh, because the army trains in the army compound. But I always was always like in really good schools. My parents were like very demanding uh, with grades. And I was always good with, with numbers like math, science and stuff like that. I also always had kind of like a creative side. Mm. You know, my dad was like a very, uh, very good sense of humor. I love drawing. So I grew up drawing a lot and I used to love photography and and music and and all things that I felt were creative. So I was always the guy who was drawing the uh, t-shirts for the the class and for uh, things that we would do like for my friends and, and, and stuff like that. And back in the day, to be honest with you, like, I didn't know what marketing was like, uh, you know, like the best schools in Brazil, they were like very pure in terms of the best public schools in college. It mm. was like it would be a study to be a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer. There was no public school f- for college uh, for marketing or business. Those were private. And I wanted to go to a public school because in college they are all uh, really good. So I did high school in Bahia and applied to a college in Sao Paulo. Then I got accepted and I moved to Campinas, which is a city in the countryside of Sao Paulo. And I studied engineering because that was what I knew. And I knew I would probably not work as an engineer, but like uh, I knew that studying engineering could open doors for me to make the decision of what I wanted to do afterwards. And you just said it was, it was you and your sister. She's your only sibling. Yeah. In your household, because you had mentioned your mother, she didn't work. Did you feel that in comparison to your friends and the people and the young people around you, that the importance of education was a common thing or was it more isolated to kind of your upbringing? No, I look, I mean, I think that so it was it was very different. It was like it's hard to explain. But like when I was at home, I was living in an army compound. So most of my friends, they would go to the army school, you know, like uh, uh, it's not even high schools like before that. Because it was uh, free, basically, for people who are, who, for the kids of people who are in the army. But my dad didn't want to send me to the army school. Like, uh, he wanted to send me to private school. So I was going to a private school where most likely I was one of the kids with, were less wealthy, let's mm. say, let's put it that way. And then I would go back home and I would have great friends that were all going to the to the army school. 
But my dad wanted me to have like a different path than he had. Because when my dad left the Amazon, uh, he went to the army because that was the best way for him to study, you know, like and get education and and get a job. Like his uh, his family didn't have money at all. Like uh, uh, back, this is like more than 40 years ago, I guess. And, and even the Amazon was uh, was tough. So his path to education, and he did a master's degree and all that, and he became a professor uh, in the best army school uh, in Brazil. But his path was to the army, and he wanted me to do something different. So that's why they invested all they had, basically, like uh, up to college, right? I mean, because then I went to a public college uh, in terms of like my education, my sister education. I didn't have to work as a kid. Right. I mean, and in Brazil, when you don't have a lot of money, usually kids find a way to support their family. I was just studying. And at home, my friends were awesome, like we would play sports together and all that. They would most of them would go to the army school and me and my sister would go to like uh, to private school. And then you went to university in Sao Paulo. Is that right? Yes. In the countryside of Sao Paulo. And how many years were you there? I was there for five years and it was, it was great. Like uh, it was a really hard to get in school in Brazil. Like uh, you need to take an exam. Each college has a different exam. It's it's messy, (laughs) but that's how it is. So I took the exam, got accepted to study mechanical engineering, started in Unicampi. uh, uh, It's in Campinas. That's the name of school. I was really bored to be honest with you, because it was very theoretical uh, in the beginning. So I started helping a professor on his post PhD thesis, like just to do something and to work. And then I got an internship on my fourth year, which was a year earlier than what one would normally get. And I and the internship was in Unilever. So I was working for two years as an intern in Unilever in the shop floor of a factory in the countryside of Sao Paulo, working on quality assurance for packaging. And it was really fun. Uh, and that was when I've heard the word marketing for the first time. You know, like I was working in the factory and then one day the marketing team came from Sao Paulo to present all the innovation, the design, the advertising uh, of the products that we were about to manufacture, you know. And then when I saw that presentation, I was like, that's really cool. You know, like they they managed the business side of the company. At the same time, there is a creative side to what they do. Uh, in terms of design, in terms of the creative of advertising and all that. And I always saw myself as being someone who had a bit of both. So I thought, well, maybe I can do this and maybe it's going to be more fun. So Unilever back in the day, and I think to this day, they still have, they had like a management trainee program. Mm. Like in in Brazil, it's like really, really tough to get in uh, because it's considered to be one of the, the best programs, if not the best program, like across the border. Uh, I applied to that. I got accepted and they did buy into the idea of sending me from the shop floor of the factory straight to uh, straight to marketing. So I finished my college in Campinas and I moved to Sao Paulo and uh, it went straight to the headquarters of Unilever uh, Brazil to work with a small fabric softener brand. And Unilever was my marketing school, uh, basically. I think I was very fortunate to always work uh, and grew, grew, grew up in marketing, always having like really good bosses who were great coaches and uh, any informal coaches in the company, plus all the training that they provided. And, and then that's basically like where, where I've learned uh, marketing. So I work in fabric softeners, relatively small brand, focused in Brazil, no investment, 
So it was really like grinding and uh, and trying to uh, to make the brand thrive. And we did some really cool stuff, even with the limitations that we had. Then I was promoted for my first managerial role in household cleaning. So I was managing like chlorine bleach products, products to clean the toilet, dishwash machine products and all that good stuff. And I was there for a, a couple of years. I left to do an MBA. I thought, well, maybe I should do an MBA because I never studied marketing and all the marketing I knew was from Unilever. I didn't want to leave Unilever. So I took a, a leave of absence and, um, and I invested myself on doing an MBA. So I did an MBA on INSEAD. Uh, so I went to the campus in Fontainebleau in France. I did a summer job in Novartis in Switzerland. Then I moved to Singapore for a couple of months to study wow. on the campus there. Then I moved to Wharton in Philly to finish the course there. Um, so, and then I went back to Unilever uh, after I finished. Unilever sent me to Mexico. That was my first director role. This is back in 2003, 2004, if I recall correctly. And it was really fun to be in Mexico. I was there for two years. I had a large team. I was managing all skincare products for Latin America. And, uh, and it was a great experience because it was a relatively small product category for Unilever. And they gave me a lot of autonomy uh, with the team because they had bigger fishes to fry. And I was the only brand developer in Mexico. All the others were in Brazil or Argentina. So I, I was like really like a big leader in that organization and, and had a really awesome team. Some of my best friends in life are from that time, uh, uh, are from that team. Uh, so I was there for two years. We did some cool stuff with Pones, Vaseline, Dove Body Lotions. And then I was promoted to become kind of like a senior director to manage uh, Vaseline uh, globally out of the U.S. So I moved to New York. The office in this is 2005, 2006. The office was in, uh, at first was in Greenwich. Then it moved to um, Inglewood Cliffs. So like New Jersey. Okay, Bergen yeah. County. Yeah. So yeah. I, was there for, uh, I was there for around four years you know, like uh, working uh, with Vaseline, uh, which was a, a, a beautiful challenge. It was my first global role in marketing. I always wanted to do global marketing because I'm very intrigued by how different countries interact differently with brands and products and thinking about the behavior uh, of people. I'm one of those guys that to this day, even though I don't work with CPG anymore, uh, when I go to the supermarket, I tend to spend hours like uh, looking at the products, looking at brands, <laughs> Like uh, look at the different categories. My wife usually has to pull me out of the supermarket or from the drugstores. So I was there for like four years. Really cool. Ha had an amazing boss. Two bosses actually. Like first Steve Miles, then Ricardo Pimenta, uh, from whom from both of whom were like great, and I learned a ton uh, from them. I was working with BBH New York, which was really top uh, in terms of creative. The team that we had there was like like amazing like i worked with emma cookson uh who was like the like one of the smartest people i have ever met i worked with sana thompson who became i think chairman for droga five in new york i worked with cash three with craig smith with julian katz like really like stellar maxim dashkin like a stellar team uh we did some really cool stuff and i was offered to go back to brazil to be a vp my first vice president role, this is 2008-ish, 2009, I think, to go back to Brazil to lead Savory, which is basically like foods, 
for Unilever in Latin America. It's a large cut, it's like a billion dollar, if I recall correctly, in terms of revenue. He ported to someone who I always admire, who was, uh, her name was Silvia Lanhado. Uh, she was the, one of the key people on Dove back in the day uh, when Dove came with Campaign for Real Beauty. Uh, she then became CMO for Bacardi. She was global CMO for McDonald's. She was awesome. And, uh, uh, and I accepted, you know, like uh, to go back to Brazil. I think it was a good time to reconnect with friends and family, reconnect with Unilever Brazil, because I used to work there, but then I left to Mexico and New York. So I didn't know many people there anymore. Uh, and there were some really good people working in Unilever Brazil. So I came thinking that I would be in Brazil for four or five years. And then literally like 10 months after, Unilever asked me to go to London. So I was in Brazil for a very short stint, like uh, uh, in 2009. And then they, they, they said that there was a bigger challenge for me working with Dove globally managing all the skin cleansing and skincare portfolio and doing some master brand uh, projects. The brand was not in a terrible shape. It was in an okay shape, but Dove should be growing faster and should be doing more iconic work. So they asked me to move to London. So I packed everything, moved to London and was in London for four years. There were like amazing four years where... Where, where, did, you, where did you live in London? I was living in Notting Hill. Uh, oh, great area. Yeah, it's awesome. And the office there is in Blackfriars. It's literally like across the, the river, like the Tate Modern is almost in front of the building there. It's a beautiful oh, wow. office. Oh, wow. Like uh, It's like classic architecture from the outside and very modern in the inside. Uh, and that's basically like the Unilever headquarters. So it was really cool to work on a brand like Dove, which was always my, my favorite brand in Unilever, a brand that has a clear purpose, that does amazing work that has budget to do things. And, and, and again, like the, those were like magical four years where everything that could go right went right. And usually that's not what happens, right? I mean, usually like yeah. you have Murphy's Law coming and hitting you in the face. Sure. Uh, but like uh, everything went well. We did some amazing work like Dove Real Beauty Sketches, Dove Camera Shy. Uh, we created repeatable models for like, for we created a very clear strategy for each of the, segments of the brand and and uh, and were much more aligned with the countries uh, the brand was growing double digit growth uh, which is important because Dove has a higher margin uh, of profit than uh, most of the other products in Unilever so if Dove is growing at a slower pace it ends, ends up like diluting margin for the company so it was it was amazing uh, and it was the first time in my 18 years of Unilever which never felt like 18 years because I was moving around quite a bit, but it was the first time that I was not itching to do the next thing. Because when little Fernando was a brand manager, he wanted to be a brand manager of a bigger brand and then uh, a brand manager of like a, a regional brand or a portfolio of brands and then a global brand. Uh, and on Dove, I was just like happy with the work and very proud of the work. Uh, and, and that insight was, which was like this epiphany of like, oh, I'm not itching to do the next thing. Then I thought, well, maybe I should leave. Maybe I should sure. like, um, like do something different. My dad always said to me, like, uh, you should always put yourself in a position where you are learning stuff and you're learning fast. And it was becoming a little bit repetitive, you know. If I were to change and look, I mean, Unilever has been an amazing company for me. And I still have like great friends there. I knew absolutely everyone in the company after 18 years. 
Uh, and to this day, I still talk with Alan Jope, who is the CEO. I still talk to Aline Santos, who is very senior there in marketing. And like, it's an awesome company. So I left in really good terms and I explained, I just want to do something different. And it should be something significantly different. And that's why I thought, well, I was always a big fan of the work that Burger King did back in the day. Like this is like back in the day, I mean, like 20 years ago, they had a CMO who was amazing. His name was Russ Klein. Russ yeah. Klein. Yeah. Was he the president of the AMA? That Russ Klein? Yes, exactly. Yeah. He's yeah. keynoted for us before. We, we, I think, I think we may have had him on the podcast as well. He's a, he's a good guy. He's awesome. And like, uh, and the work that he did was so inspiring to me, you know, like, uh, uh, and Crispin Porter Bogoski was like on fire. Like uh, when they were doing all that work for Burger King, they did Whopper Free Cow, Whopper Virgin, Subservant Chicken, like the King's Games. It was like one after another. When I was looking at the work that Burger King was doing, this is back in 2013, I didn't think it was at par with what it could be. And it was a brand that has done some amazing stuff, but it was not doing so well. They were like under the leadership of 3G Capital, uh, who acquired the brand. Like this is, they acquired been like, I think like 2010, 2011, around that time. Uh, I knew some of the guys uh, that were in the brand. So one of the guys was like the president for Burger King, North America, was an alumni. We were together doing our MBAs in, in INSEAD. So I called him. They never called me. I was the one who called. Uh, and I said, like, you guys have an amazing brand. Like, I think I could help. And I think I could learn a lot. You know, like as a very different environment, Unilever, 3G, uh, franchisees, you, you have the restaurant. I didn't have a physical space working CPG, right? I was selling to Walmart, Target, CVS, Walgreens, and Miami, which was like where the office was. So he first laughed and said, no, you're just joking. You're not going to leave Unilever after 18 years to come here. And I was very serious about it. And it ended up happening. Uh, so I came to Miami, spoke to Daniel Schwartz who is now the co-chairman for 3G Capital. He was the CEO during most of the time I was with, uh, with RBI. I spoke with everyone, with Alex Macedo, who was my friend. And I really like what I've seen. You know, like I've seen a company, a group of people that were very eager, very down to earth, very like uh, hard workers and super smart, not much experience in marketing. So one of my challenges was like to build like that, to build processes in the marketing team. Axel Schwann was here too. He was probably like the only one who had more experience in marketing, but there was like really good raw material there with the brand and with, uh, with people. So that's why I came and like, and it was like one of the best decisions I've made uh, in my career. I fit really well on that leadership team with Jose Seal, with Josh, with uh, Sammy, uh, mm. David Shear. Uh, Felipe was there, uh, Chris Finazzo, all those guys, like, uh, they welcomed me really well when we were collaborate really well together. And we were able to do some amazing work. RBI ended up like buying Popeyes, buying Tim Horton. Sure. So it, the, the work as a CMO grew in scope because I became the CMO for those brands too. And it was an amazing time. We did some really cool creative uh, and it gives me like a lot of excitement to see that those guys, they continue to do great work after I left, because it means that we were able to build uh, the culture and a very strong team. Very proud of the work we did around ESG, around environmental sustainability, around improving the quality of the food. We removed all artificial ingredient, uh, ingredients from artificial sources from the food. You oh, know? wow. 
yeah, we created a plan to do that globally for the three brands. Where did that idea come from? Was that your initial idea? Like, it was always a team sport, you know what I mean? Like, I think that when I joined, the biggest concern was more like short term, you know, deliver sales for the month. And I think I did help in terms of like adding some priorities uh, to the company that would be more long term, you know, which I think is one of the key challenges we have as CMOs is like, how do we drive sales on the short term, but also how can we future proof the brand? And uh, future-proof, the brand for the future is a bit redundant, but I think you get the point. Sure. Uh, but like, uh, uh, yeah, so like I was one of the ones that helped infuse that organization with a mindset to have a plan around quality of the food, um, uh, having a plan around environmental sustainability, around diversity and inclusion. But I was not alone, you know, like Axel was, like, um, Axel Schwann was like pushing a lot on that, Duncan uh, was pushing a lot on that. There was like uh, Jose Sio, like so. It came from the team, you know. Like I would love to say, like yeah, I did that by myself, but it was really like a a, a team effort. Yeah. So RBI like published, I think, like a couple of months ago, all the commitments around being carbon neutral. They did like all the study in terms of carbon footprint. The programs that we had in terms of like quality of the food, removing artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, like everything that's not real of the food was like super aggressive. There was plan uh, plans around packaging. So it's like really, really stuff to be proud of. I think that I'm very proud of how we dealt with the pandemic too, you know, because that did hit us really hard. Sure. Uh, like you had like restaurants that were selling going to zero sales uh, when countries shut down in wow. Europe, in Asia, all China. And we had to really rush to accelerate the digital transformation uh, of the restaurant so that people could pre-order or do mobile ordering payment, you know, like uh, all those things. And I think that that leadership team came together very nicely to, to give the assurance to franchisees and, and, and to the people working that we would, we would be okay. So it was there during that whole time and after a little bit over seven years, um, I thought I always wanted to do to work on something that was digitally native. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like uh, um, because I did do digital transformation at RBI a little bit the Unilever, but it's not the same to have a business that's all digital. So when Activision Blizzard knocked on my door, I'm a big fan of video games myself, and uh, I I know. I knew most of the franchises because I played not all, but most from Activision Blizzard. As you said, like in the intro, like they have amazing stuff. You know, Call of Duty is like the number one game in terms of sales for more than 10 years now, I think. Overwatch, World of Warcraft, Diablo, Candy Crush. Candy Crush has more than 4 billion downloads. Wow. It has more than 250 million monthly active players. That's uh, crazy. It's crazy. It's 10 Super Bowls per month, just in Candy Crush. <laughs> uh, and, That's a good uh, way to put it. And I'm sure you played Guitar Hero at some point, like uh, that game that fooled all of us to, to think that we could play. Uh, yes. Guitar. Yeah, so that's Activision. But and even if you go back in time, you know, like River Raid, uh, Pitfall, Enduro, or um, um, uh, Decathlon, I'm sure like if you play video game, I broke so many joysticks playing Decathlon. That's all Activision. Uh, so uh, it's a company that has a history of doing great games. It's a company that's very creative by the nature of its own product, and it's 100% digital. So I joined 
around um, a year ago, a little bit over a year now, I felt that I did, I checked all the boxes of the things I wanted to do at RBI and I left a strong team behind. Some people have left, but I think that the team is still strong and I'm learning a lot, you know? So I'm doing what my dad suggested me to do, to put myself in a position where I can learn a lot uh, in an industry that's evolving a lot, where things are changing, where people don't necessarily know me because most of them didn't work on CPG or, or QSR before. But it's, it's fun, you know, like uh, it, it's a very strong team. It's a very creative, especially on the product side. And it's an exciting time to, to be working on game. That's great. Good for you. So you were approached by Activision, I take it? I, I was, yes. So even though it sounds like a great organization, I don't know gaming too well. The only video games I played as a kid were sports games for the most part. Yeah. Like NBA Live and Madden and all that stuff. I did a lot of that, sure. <laughs> yeah. Those are the only games I was actually kind of good at. Even though the opportunity Activision was enticing, was it still tough to make that transition because you had put so many roots down with RBI and with Burger King? It's always tough. You know, all changes are difficult. You know, I always see, like, I saw my change from, from Unilever to Burger King and my change from RBI to Activision. I see it as an opportunity to learn a new business to uh it's challenging to learn a new business like the language is completely different what makes the consumer tick is different dove is a brand has brand fans uh burger king and popeye anything horses is a our brands that have fans i never seen anything like video games <laughs> like yeah those are hardcore communities of fans sure. and, uh, and it's also like a challenge of uh, it's a leadership challenge i think that one of the key things for you to be successful in your career is your ability to influence people and influence the organization you are in. You know, like you can have the best ideas in the world. You can have, you can be the smartest person in the room, but if you cannot convince others of that path, like uh, it's irrelevant, right? Sure. And I think that every time you change from one place to another, the culture is different. What makes people tick is different. Like uh, you, you, your credibility goes back to zero, meaning like you need to build your credibility in this place. So it's always like a, a leadership challenge. Uh, on top of uh, the business challenge. Um, and look, I mean, there are days that are, be- there are some days that are better than others, but it's part of my learning journey and my journey to become a better business person and my journey to become a better leader. Uh, and I think that those changes, especially when you change location, industry, people, those are the ones that really put you out of your comfort zone and force you to learn even faster. Uh, and no, it's not easy. Like uh, growing, growing hurts a bit sometimes, you know, sure. like, uh, uh, but it's part of the process. What would you say at Activision, as you as the department head for marketing, I don't even know if, the, if there's just, I'm sure there's more than three, but three big objectives you and your department are working on, you know, for the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that it's all about driving engagement to our games, like just talking about the business side of life, sure. you know, like uh, the, the more people play, the better in terms of like bringing lapsed players, new players and current players to continue to play. So it's a constant effort to come up with ideas, both on the product side, from the product team and from the marketing side that will get people excited about our franchises. So that's one thing, engagement. Uh, I think that the other thing is like, how do we monetize properly uh, uh, on the games? We have lots of games that are free to play. 
we have games that are more like the game in a box uh, that you buy like a once a year. Uh, and I think that we are learning a lot, constantly learning on, on how to monetize the games better. So monetization, I think, is also uh, a key part. Uh, and I think it's like making sure, especially on the marketing side, that we properly support and innovate in marketing for the key beats that we have on the plan. You know, like, uh, so every time we have a big activity and you have plenty because you have so many franchises that we have a proper marketing plan with great ideas, with mm. great assets, with a great, great influencer uh, plan, great social plan and, and all that good stuff. Those are more like the business, right? If you ask me like, okay, on top of business, what are the things that keep you up at night? I think that I spend a lot of time, uh, I invest a lot of time identifying talent uh, and attracting talent uh, to the teams, not because people are leaving or anything, but just to like keep raising the bar on the people that we have uh, on the team. So I spend a lot, I do like two, three interviews per week, minimal, you know, sure. like, uh, and I do a lot of work defining our bench, succession planning and all that good stuff. People don't see that as much outside, but like uh, there is a lot of time that goes uh, behind that. I do a lot of work uh, helping the team with activities around DE&I. I am the executive sponsor of the Latinx network of the company. I do a lot of work behind ESG. Like, in fact, we just published our 2021 ESG report last week. I posted on Twitter and LinkedIn. So if you search my profile, we'll be able to see that. Sure. And there is a lot of good work going uh, uh, in there from the team, which we help back in the right way. And, and we also help with some of the content. So there are other things above and beyond just the business. When I think about them, they are more like the talent, which I think is top priority for me, like the capabilities that the marketing team has, bringing the marketing teams together. We have three business units, Activision, Blizzard, and King. They don't sit on the same office. So like, how can I create a marketing culture? So I spend a lot of time on that. Also like uh, on activities that that are just like the right thing to do, like DNI and, and ESG. Interesting. So you obviously are very busy. Can you tell me what you do when you're not focusing on work? What What do you do to wind down? What do you do to get time for yourself? What do you like to do I'm for fun? A, look, I'm a very simple, normal guy, to be honest with you. Like uh, I drive a Toyota Sienna because it's easy with the kids. Um, the minivan? Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a minivan. That's how, <laughs> that's how I would call it. Uh, so that's the car I drive because it's easy for the kids. We have three kids and have a fourth one coming. Oh, congratulations. Um, so they keep us really busy. Uh, so I love spending time with them, going to the pool, going to the beach, walking around in Santa Monica, or if you are, if we are in Miami, I'm in Miami this week, we go to the, try to go to the pool, go to the beach. I play soccer once a week, still like, uh, have a good time with that. I'm completely obsessed with soccer. Like I'm completely crazy about my local team back What's in your team. It's Flamengo. It's like the red and black jersey. I watch every single game to the desperation of my wife. Uh, <laughs> and like, and I read the news and I talk to the supporters and I talk to the bloggers and I talk to the YouTubers and I talk to the guys who manage the team. Yes, it's that level of craziness. <laughs> um, yeah, like, and it's just like grabbing a beer with my friends and spending time with the kids, you know, like, uh, Wait, so do you live, do you live full time anywhere or are you bouncing back between Miami and Santa Monica? I don't know. We, we live in LA, like we live in Santa Monica, but like, uh, we have a place in Miami 
And every time we have an opportunity to that, that I have the chance to work remotely because there is no like big meeting happening that needs like face to face. Like uh, if I have the chance, we come here. It's easy. Even with the kids, it's easy because the kids, the kids are still little. And, and because we have the place here, we travel super light, right? I mean, we have all our stuff here. We leave yeah. stuff behind here so that we don't have to pack stuff or anything. Well, I was just going to ask you if you had to pick, I'm curious because I'm from Miami originally. Yeah. You had to pick and say, what's the better city, LA or Miami? What would you say? I mean, it's a tricky one because like, I think that both have like amazing things. Like, and I think I have the feeling that my wife prefers LA. Really? I think I prefer Miami, but you know, like happy wife, happy life. So <laughs> uh, I'm happy. I'm happy on both. Look, I mean, I got so used to move around, you know, growing up in Brazil, Rio, Amazon, Bahia, Rio, Bahia, Campinas, Sao Paulo, then sure. uh, France for INSEAD, then Singapore, Philly, Mexico, New York, Brazil, London, Miami, LA. If you, I, had, a, if you had to pick one city <laughs> that you've either lived in or traveled to as your favorite city in the world, what would it be? I don't know. Like, I think it would probably be, I, I love Brazil. You know, and I still have great friends in Brazil. Like every every opportunity I have to go there, even though I haven't been there for quite some time now. Like uh, uh, my, my mom is there, my sister is there, my friends from college are all there, uh, my friends from Bahia are all there. Like uh, we talk every day uh, on WhatsApp, uh, literally like every day with my college friends and uh, and the guys from from Bahia from from high school. But like I think that my my life is these days I, I see it outside of Brazil. So if I were to pick one place, I would probably pick Miami. I love the weather here. Uh, it feels very Latin American, which I also like. Where where in Miami is your place? It's in Sunny Isles. Oh, I grew up in Aventura. Yeah, well, it's next door. Like we yeah. are right on the bridge that goes to Aventura. William Lehman Causeway. You know, it's funny. When I was growing up there, Sunny Isles had no buildings on the on the water, on the ocean. It literally was like coming over the Lehman Causeway. Yeah. You could see the ocean, and yeah. then one by one, the bill. I think the pinnacle was the first one. Yeah, and then they all started coming in after. That's a that's a great place. Yeah, and Miami has grown so much. You know, like think about Brico. Like go oh. to Brico now. Unbelievable. Like, check it out. It's insane. Uh, so it's a it's a really cool place. You know, like uh, uh, and I like it here. And like if I want to go to New York, it's a two hour flight ish. LA, it doesn't hurt that much. It's four or five hours. It's very easy. You know, like if I want to go to Brazil. It's like same same time zone basically from uh, from Brazil, so I would probably pick here. But like uh, I think that my wife is Australian. I love Sydney. Hopefully, one, yeah. Hopefully one day we'll be uh, we'll have a place there uh, and we'll be able to live there too. As I said, I got so used to move around that like uh, and I was I'm a very optimistic person by nature. So. I I always see the positives uh, on the places like living in London. London is amazing. You know, like LA is amazing. I feel very fortunate to have the opportunity to have lived in these places and, and to be able to bounce around uh, uh, some of these places because of work and, and for fun. Final question. I'm just, cause I'm curious, cause you're so yeah. well traveled. Where do you think one day when your kids are grown, you'll settle down? I think it will be between uh, Australia and US. Oh, wow. Australia is in the running, huh? Yeah, like um, uh, it's a beautiful place, you know, like uh, and Sydney is amazing. Melbourne, I haven't been to Melbourne yet, 
like uh but like my wife is obsessed with melbourne and i would love to have a chance to to visit and and i can totally see they living there or, or us living there uh, uh, uh at some point and um and us is like they are americans right all my kids were born like here sure um and it's great education it's a great place to live uh, i'm sure they will have plenty of friends like growing up uh, here um so it's probably between probably be like between these two fascinating well i don't want to take up too much more of your time fernando thank you so much for talking to me i know you have a lot more to elaborate on for the keynote presentation for next week's event fascinating person very impressive career i mean i get to interview a lot of a lot of really impressive people but you've done a lot you've seen a lot you've lived in some amazing places and you know i'm excited because you know you're young young-ish young-ish <laughs> young-ish i'm sure there's a lot more in your life that you're you're going to achieve but we appreciate you being a good friend to us and um i've had a blast talking to you and i can't wait to talk to you again once you're up to your kind of your next bucket list item look i mean thanks for thanks for having me and it was a pleasure it was a fun chat invite me anytime i mean i'll always be there for you guys we appreciate that thanks for listening and be on the lookout for more episodes by alex in the meantime subscribe to millennium live to listen and learn on life and leadership